If you've been in networking for any time, you've probably had to use a lab to learn a new technology or to study for a certification, but labs can be so much more than learning tools. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about practical uses for labs outside of the classroom and how you might use labs to bring predictability and reliability to your network. I would like to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Viavi Solutions, for sponsoring today's episode. Viavi ultimately wants to help you better understand what's happening on your network by focusing not on a bunch of random KPI data, but rather c- combining that KPI data with end user experience validation to give you an accurate and robust view of your network performance. Stay tuned as we'll be talking more about how Viavi is changing the way network performance monitoring is done later in the episode. We also want to take a second to mention the Network Collective Community Membership. We know that many of you listening to this show as network engineers operate on an island, and that presents a challenge uh, when, for your own personal growth. And for those of you who do work with strong teams, you know the value that a community of engineers can bring as you progress in learning how to do this job well. That's why we've been building the Network Collective Community. It's all about building a place where we can grow together. Membership comes with all kinds of benefits, but namely uh, membership-exclusive education that focuses on the why We do what we do rather than just tutorials about how to get it done. Uh, And then also we have this really, well, it's really impressive Slack forum where we, uh, where we engage daily to talk about, you know, the topics that matter to us, uh, catch up on what everyone's doing and just uh, continue to learn as a group. So if this sounds like something could be valuable to you, uh, you can go to thenetworkcollective.com slash join um, and check out what uh, membership can can provide for you. Uh, We'd love to have you. So joining us today is Ian Leiter. I said that right, I think, Ian Leiter, and Jody Lemoyne. Uh, this is Ian's first time on the show, so welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, Jody is joining us again, and I guess you're, uh, I guess you're welcome too. <laughs> Thanks to both of you for coming on to talk with us today. Um, Ian, you actually proposed this topic to us, uh, this idea about the idea of value of labs outside of the classroom. Um, so why don't you start? What's your take on the value of labs outside of like, that learning environment? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, The topic of lab environments has been something I've been passionate about for quite a few years. And lately, I've encountered several projects where it would not have been possible to have a successful outcome without the use of labs. Can you expand on that? I mean, what do you mean by Mm -hmm. not possible? I mean, the reason why I ask is because I know that there's a lot of people out there that just simply do not have a lab at all. And they probably are being successful in their network, too. So what do you mean? Yeah, so one of the one of the most recent projects was a, a Nexus 7K to 9K data center migration. And we took about, I would say, 30 different iterations to get that down to where we were able to do uh, an active, a live migration hitless for a primary data center. And without labs, that would not have been possible. Just there's so many moving parts, so many protocols, and um just to be able to get that down to where it was virtually hitless was a, a big deal, B- huge amount of value for that and quality to the end users too, because this is a healthcare environment. So, so breaking that down, uh, the, the value that you got out of that, I'm just, you know, what I'm hearing is, is the fact that you could iteratively or just continually go through the process, making sure you had I's dotted, T's crossed, make sure that everything was together um, so that when you went to go execute, this was something that you like, you understood the nuance of every single step. Like you, you exactly. could accurately predict exactly what was going to happen at every step along the way. I mean, that could be hard to do. I mean, you, you just mentioned Nexus 7K to 9K and I, I'm, I just bring up a couple of things that have traditionally been a challenge, right? Is, uh, you know, labs traditionally have been emulation. 
So we talked right. about a couple of different types of labs, and I think it probably something we should expand upon. There's 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 the idea of a physical lab um, where you have the gear, or at least gear very similar to the gear that you'd be using in the real world, stuck away in a closet somewhere. Um, and you can actually like physically connect cables to it and you're running the software that would be running and you're running it on the equipment that it would be running on, or at least, you know, a very, very close approximation, but that tends to be pretty expensive. Um, yes. So, that, so then you find the, the other balance, which is emulation. And when we get into emulation, there tends to be uh, feature deficits between what happens in the real world versus what you can emulate. Oh, it's not just feature deficits, right? I mean, emulation is really valuable from a labbing perspective. Um, right now we have, 2,500 virtual nodes up and running, Open Fabric, for anybody who knows what Open Fabric is, um, in a virtualized lab, and we're pushing 120,000 routes at it and seeing how fast it converges and finding problems. So there's no, there is something valuable about emulation in the labbing environment, like Ian said. I mean, we couldn't do open, we couldn't deploy Open Fabric if we didn't lab it. There's no way. I mean, we could not, produ- we could not put it in production without testing it. And, and we're not going to put 2,500 routers up, but we'll definitely do it in a lab uh, or in a, in a virtualized environment. But then again, you realize that you don't have like the same processors. You don't have real network interfaces. Performance is going to look different in a virtualized environment. Than well, I mean, I, I just, yeah, that's what I want to point out is that you, you bring up this idea that you're, you're using these virtualized uh, routers to give you an idea of what performance is going to look like. But the reality is, is that that open fabric running on, you know, a piece of hardware is actually going to perform differently. So you're not really it getting, probably is. Yeah. You're not getting a fully accurate picture. I was actually right. speaking, you know, to the idea of feature deficit in that it's been traditionally hard to emulate layer two. Yes, which, oh, I, yeah. which, right. which, which I know Ross is like, well, why would you ever want to do that? Yeah, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we all wish we lived well, there, Russ. Why, why would you ever do that? But the reality is, is that, you know, you just mentioned a Nexus 7000, the Nexus 9000 transition. And I, and I mean, I, as a, as a consultant in the enterprise space, I mean, I do this a lot, like 7K to 9K is a pretty common, you know, migration path that we're seeing right now. And usually when we're talking about 7K, we're talking about VPCs. And we're talking about 9Ks, we're talking about VPCs, which is an L2, you know, MLAG technology uh, that actually does not emulate well at all, <laughs> like to get to get it to happen inside of an environment. And so you can't get that definitive, oh, yeah, this is exactly what's going to happen at the L2 space. I can do it in L3. I can figure out what my routing protocol failure stack is going to look like or not failure stack, but, my, you know, the way as, as things change and I change, you know, priorities on something here or I change, you know, this configuration over here, what's going to happen from an L3 perspective. But in L2 and it's gotten better. So I don't want to like completely like, you know, beat on it too hard. Um, but the reality is, is that we just can't quite get to parity there. And well, so, the, oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I was curious when you said lab in this environment of a, of a Nexus 7000 and Nexus 9000, um, was that like a, a physical lab or was it an emulated lab? Yeah, so it's interesting whenever there's the initial purchase, obviously there's a window of opportunity because you have separate sets of gear that you're getting ready to put in. So you have that gear that you can set up in a kind of a POC type of environment. Um, but also there's the opportunity to get a, a subset. Maybe it's the same chipset. Like in our case, it was the 93180YCEX or some crazy name like that. Um, but same line card essentially in a 1U fixed um, platform. So we were able to accurately predict what it would look like and use that as our other 9k 
um, to be able to do some of these different simulations. So it's, it's kind of a mix of both. And I, I do have experience with viral and some of these other ones, not a fan of some of those things for, for some of the reasons you mentioned, because a lot of the issues you start to encounter that where it diverges from um, even interface names, if you have a large complex environment and the interface names, none of them match and you're trying to run through a lab scenario, it can be a real challenge after you're transposing and have a table to translate these different interface names. Even something basic like that can be difficult. Vim is your friend. I was going to say, I, I could pull out some scripts right now that do exactly <laughs> that because, because of this being a problem, you're absolutely right. Something as simple as interface. Yeah. Name. Um, I, I think, I think like, you know, okay. So pull out, you know, Russ's hallmark phrase. If you, if you haven't found the trade-off, you haven't looked hard enough. I think we even find that here in that, you know, emulation provides all kinds of value because I don't need to buy the gear. I can spin up multiple instances, depending on what I'm using. That could be hundreds of instances. I can lab out a very large environment for a relatively low cost. The cost of maybe one server or a really powerful desktop or laptop can emulate hundreds of devices. Whereas if you were to do that in a, in a physical world, you were either getting really, really creative with things like VRFs and the way they connected back to each other, yeah. uh, or you're spending quite a bit of money. Um, and so th there's a huge positive, right, to emulation. It, it's And it's gotten, because it's gotten so much better, it's become more and more usable. But yeah. you're talking about a physical lab here. And I think it's important to note that distinction when you talk about labs um, is, to, is to recognize the limitations. So right. if a physical lab is fantastic. Uh, it's going to give you the most real world picture. But the chances of you being able to emulate a large environment in a physical lab is unlikely. You also have the option of doing a hybrid lab where you have some physical components and some you know, emulated components talking to each other. Oh, you want your cake and eat it too, huh? Well, I've got my cake and I eat it too. That's what my lab is. Physical, switch, physical switches and virtualized routing. But, the, but what I want to get at is that we got to be careful not to let perfection be the enemy of the good here. Maybe yes. we can't lab absolutely everything down to the nth degree. But if we can lab things down to the basic concept working and knowing that this is the way it should be and knowing that hardware specific bugs, oh, sorry, uh, inadvertent features, um, th <laughs> those are the exception rather than the rule. And if we can go in with something that we know, okay, maybe they're not always the exception, rather than the rule, but if we can go in with a design that we know works in principle and works in the lab, then at least theoretically, we can nail the corner cases down and adjust those a lot easier than if we just put the infrastructure in and the whole thing completely goes kaboom. Right. Absolutely. 100% so, true. Another thing there, Jody, is that when we think of a lab, I mean, I'm sure 99% of the people listening to this, 99% of the people listening to this are thinking, um, you know, Eve or viral or whatever on a laptop or even a powerful server. That's not your only option in labbing, if, in, in virtual labs. Um, the test bit I'm talking about is actually on the Azure cloud and has one processor core per emulated device. Yeah, it's a, the, the world is changing when it comes to, to what resources we have. That's a good, that's actually a, a interesting topic. Buy it, don't build it is a big thing when it comes to labbing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking like you can go to a, a bare metal provider, spin up a Debian box with many more processors than you'll ever be able to get on your desktop or a Windows box and run in Eve on that. And now you're running on a box with, you know, 256 gig of memory and 16 cores and however much SSD you want and everything else. 
and you could actually run some of these emulators in a in a in an environment that's much better than you're going to get on your desktop or a server you're even putting in your physical infrastructure. And now you can actually get closer. You can build larger things. So what I'm saying is like you, Jody, you know, there's it's not we've gotten to the point where there's a gray area between the lab and the real world that people don't realize is out there. And again, you got to go back. You're you're still not going to get the same performance. You're still going to run into race conditions. You're still going to run into, oh, but it's doing encapsulation and it's not using DPDK to do the hardware, to do forwarding. So the building of packets and everything and the queuing and stuff is all messed up in this particular environment. And you can't figure out what traffic flows are going to look like. But from a control plane perspective, you can actually do pretty good understanding how the network's going to work from a control plane perspective. Um, one another um, another thing that you can do too is often, especially when you're talking about internet facing applications in the enterprise, it may be difficult to get the level of internet connectivity you need to your lab, um, and and I've used cloud services for that. You spin up um, most vendors have. Uh, certain additions of their products available where you can run them natively in the cloud. So you go to AWS, you go to Azure, you spin up a couple of instances and depending on what you need to lab, you may be able to do that without having to hassle with all kinds of connectivity challenges or compliance challenges. Um, you know, healthcare is near and dear to my heart too. And, and, you know, it might be really difficult to get approvals to do any kind of internet facing labbing in that environment. So um, there are all kinds of options if you just get, get creative. You bring up a good point and also expanding kind of what Russ said is, is that I think we're also seeing the industry kind of come to us when it comes to labbing, not intentionally, but because of this move into uh, virtualized network functions. Um, and, and because of the fact that we have to be able to deploy these, 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 routers and you know things that we do in the network into cloud environments and have them be flexible and have them be horizontally scalable um all of a sudden like every vendor out there is producing their main code as something you can run on x86 and even even some platforms are now running their code on x86 and so as it's almost like the network is coming to us rather or or, you know what i'm saying as as we've had this problem with emulation it's not like they're fixing the problems with emulation it's that the network is actually changing to the point where oh wait a minute those tools we've been using for emulation all along are now better because the the vendors have had to create versions that actually run on those platforms um and i think that that's that's changing quite a bit too um so i think that like i said that that problem of deficiency the feature gap between emulated versus physical has been shrinking over time um but it's still there it's still a trade off it's something you have to consider yeah i think um Yvonne's comment about creativity is key as well um because even what you mentioned earlier about vrfs for example i mean in some cases it's kind of a hack but in other cases if you're able to really narrow down and pinpoint the area that you're trying to emulate, um, I think that's that becomes a real skill because you may have limited resources, but if you're able to take just the essence of the problem that you're struggling with and get that into a lab, you can get a lot of value out of it. Maybe that's all you need just to get over the hump and, and get over the, the snag that you're hitting. Right. Um, yeah, when I was in Cisco Tech, we had five routers each because the assumption was if you couldn't get it to break in five routers or you couldn't understand the problem in five routers then you probably didn't understand the problem very well 
a lot of times. I was going to say, I think that if I think that that's a really good point, only because you're adding, or, or or if you can't if you can't replicate the environment in some sort of you know, it will call it a hacked out version, right, or whatever. You know, the idea that you know, I, I don't have enough devices to do it, but I, if I can't emulate the thing, I need to emulate in a few devices. You probably don't understand it, like. With the exception of the things that we just can't lab out because the, right. the hardware doesn't support it, but you know if you right. have a if you have a ten router set uh, of OSPF adjacencies or whatever, and that's what you're you know, and you only have three routers, you should still be able to do that. Yeah, right. So basically, what we're saying is we're saying Ian started us off by saying labbing is really good, and now we've taken away all your excuses. <laughs> <laughs> we win. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and this goes back to what we talk about so often, which is fundamentals. I think sometimes folks have a hard time separating out, well, how do I lab this? Because I have to have the whole thing. But if you understand what layer of the network you need to test, you know, simple things. Is this a layer two problem? Is this a layer three problem? Is it a convergence problem? Is it... Is it just, I need to understand how the config is going to work when I paste it in as an order of operations problem. Once you, once you narrow it down, that can help you figure out what you need to, to, to test whatever you want to do. And you may have to test it in stages, <laughs> you know, not do it all at once. Um, you can break the problem down into pieces too. Well, I think that that's actually a good segue into, I think, another way that we use labs. So we, we've talked about this from the idea of a change. And of course, I mean, like, so we, we have education, we have changes, but then I also think that there's some value in having kind of like steady state labs. And so when I say these are labs that are there kind of like with what Russ is doing, you know, Russ is emulating an environment and then they're throwing stuff at it adjusting, throwing stuff at it again, throwing stuff at it again, not necessarily with a change in mind, but with the idea that this is going to be the architecture. So if you work somewhere and you own that network, um, you should have a sensibly, you know, emulated or hardware, you know, uh, version sitting in a closet somewhere uh, that you can go and kind of throw something at it so you understand what your network's going to do. Um, so this is more, this is less about the individual change and more about the idea of taking what you have and putting it into a lab so that you can go and recreate it. So I, I've done this um, with one of my customers where we did it for a lab or we did, I'm sorry, we did it for a change, but then that has become the point of reference. Anytime we want to think about doing something else, because we got to the point where we got that emulation of their network so good that now that this is a model that we use over and over and over again, because it is their network. <laughs> in, and, in, in and a, it's a, a, a three file. Yeah. It's just constantly helpful and useful. And so it's not right. necessarily about creating something for a change with a specific idea in mind, but even if you can, you know, create something that stays as a viable resource over and over and over again. I mean, Jody, I know you do this sometimes too, as well uh, with some of your customers. I don't know if you have anything, any ideas here. Oh yeah. That dovetails very nicely into what I use my lab for a lot. I've got a customer who will have problems and sometimes troubleshooting is intrusive. And these are environments where, yeah, the, the problem is there, but it's not so big a deal that they want to shut themselves down while I'm fiddling with it to fix the problem. You know, what's the, uh, what's the Yiddish word, uh, farpochket, broken because you tried to fix it. You know, it's, uh, th that's, that's not what any of my customers are looking for. So what I generally do is I'll pull their configs and I will bring up an emulated lab. I'll dump their configs into the emulation and I'll see what breaks. 
And if something breaks and we can find it, I can troubleshoot a fix. And now we have a fix that we can retrofit back onto their production environment. But in the event the emulation doesn't produce anything, well, yeah, then we have to go into live troubleshooting. But most of the time we can find the problem without breaking anything on the customer site. And labs are absolutely ideal for that. So I have another fundamental to add on to that. Um, when you when you create or build a lab, please make a network diagram. And, and really, we don't have them for production. Why would we make one? For- <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. It should start with a diagram, and because the first thing that's going to happen is you will encounter a problem. You'll need to involve a colleague or a vendor, and you'll have something that you can just hand them. And as you make changes, you tweak that. And when you're done, you've got everything you need. Let's go but, one step further and say full documentation. I can't tell you the amount of times people have handed me a diagram and go, can you fix this? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, yeah, I'm with the Vaughn. Like this should just, Fundamentals. This, this should be, you know, this is table stakes. I agree with you. It needs to be said because it doesn't happen. But yep. anytime you build something that anyone else but you is going to touch or or if you're going to touch it after walking away from it for more than a week, it should be documented. Network like documentation is a unicorn, man, but we all want it. We would like to take a moment to let you know some more about the sponsor of today's episode. So for our past few shows, we've been sharing some insights about the state of monitoring in today's networks. If you've missed some of those stats, here's a quick recap. of performance issues are first identified by the users using the system, and over 50% of issues simply are never reported to IT teams at all. One-third of all reported issues take over a month to resolve or simply are never resolved. And despite network engineers spending, on average, 75% of their time on troubleshooting, 52% of engineers say that determining a root cause for an issue is still the hardest part of the process. I don't know about you. But that paints a pretty bleak picture for me, and I think it's pretty easy to identify some of the reasons why these stats may be true. At the heart of it, troubleshooting is difficult, and not following a set of troubleshooting best practices leads to using a random process of elimination until the ultimate issue is discovered. Without a common methodology, engineers will start with what they know. That may be hardware information, external data sources, or maybe both. Clearly, this isn't getting the job done, though which seems odd with so many data sources available to today's engineers. This is exactly what Viavi Solutions is trying to solve. Viavi believes that data is only valuable if that data can drive action when you need it most. Random data points that don't give you perspective on what is really going on is madness. It doesn't help, and it needs to stop. This is where end-user experience scoring and synthetic testing come in. These techniques give you an end-to-end, transactional view of what the user is experiencing and helps identify what part of the communication chain is delayed or failing. Viavi strongly believes that networkers should consider a new approach to monitoring, and they invite you to learn more about the proactive monitoring service, Observer Live, at viavisolutions.com slash networkcollective. There you can dig in and see exactly how Viavi is approaching this problem and even try out their platform for free. Now, Viavi also believes in the value of community and is graciously giving away four Network Collective community memberships as part of this promotion. In fact, the first winner was selected just last week, leaving three more chances for you to get in on the Network Collective community at no cost to yourself. You can enter to win this excellent prize at the same website mentioned before, viavisolutions.com slash networkcollective. Thanks again to Viavi for the support of the show 
And now back to our episode. Yeah. And that's yeah, a whole from, from a laughing perspective, right? Think about this. You talk about changes. Well, one change you can always burn out or test is changing code versions and laughing a code version. And if, like you said, Jordan, you have the ability to spin an entire lab that looks like your network in a couple of hours in a virtual environment, then you can upgrade versions. You can play with things and try them and see what happens, right? And so I've seen so many times where people have upgraded versions of software and everything falls apart. And they're like, oh, but it should have worked. Yeah, but it didn't. It's so preventable. It's preventable. Should have is always a great excuse when you're reporting to management. They really understand <laughs> that a lot. Yeah. Well, and I see so many network engineers who are always afraid to touch anything. And they're afraid because they don't have a comfort level with playing around in their environment. They don't know what's going to happen if they if they make this change or they turn this thing off. And and that's what your lab gets you. And um, one of one of the, uh, the really gifted network engineers I worked with once we were trying to solve a problem and he was in meetings and was being really quiet, but saw that another team was having issues at a different layer of the IT stack. And he knew that that problem needed to get solved. And so he went into the lab and started playing around and, was, and, and, and told me, look, I'm not going to offer this solution up, but I'm going to go play around with it and see if I can make this thing work so that if they come down to the wire and we have to throw a Hail Mary, I know that I can catch that pass. And when you do that, you can you can add value to your organization in ways that you just can't in any other way. How many times we've we been in a meeting when, you know, the network guy is just like, nope, can't do it. And, and you just don't be that guy, you know, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> to, your, to your first point, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there kind of were two points in there. To your first point, which was, you know, if, if you're afraid of what's going to happen in your network and you don't want to touch it a lab, and I agree with that 100%, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little uh, trail off to the side here. And okay. See. And say that if you are afraid of what's going to happen to your network when you do something, you better go do it so you understand. Um, and so, and so this is my thing. I, 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 and maybe this is just a, a cut that's a little bit deeper because it's been recent. I have a customer who has uh, who has a primary network closet and a backup network closet, and we're in the middle of designing a core switch upgrade for them. And I ask this question, and I say, "Okay, um, do you know that if we take closet A offline, that all your services are in closet B?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> what's the point? I mean, what's the right. point? What's the point of having closet B? If you can't operate with closet A down, closet B is useless to you. And so if you don't know, you need to figure that out. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but I'm just saying that like uh, you should not have a, any network where you say, I don't know if I can lose this piece or if I don't know if this thing being offline is going to cause me a problem. That's a fragile network. That's a network that is due to fall apart very, very quickly. You need to figure out what happens when that when that piece goes away, and then you need to mitigate any issues. Like that's that that's like a, a big red flag that you have some work to do. What's the old expression? If architects design buildings the way we design networks, the first woodpecker to come along would destroy civilization or something like that. Well, I've, um, ne I've never, I've heard, never that heard that before. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> yes, it is true. And again, going back to labs, this is where labbing can help you, right? You can bring it up, 
test it, take those pieces out and see what happens. And you're not impacting production environment. I know that I've done this um, when we were switching a particular customer that I was working with from IGRP to EIGRP. And again, when we switched another person from um, OSPF to ISIS, we actually labbed it out. We walked through the steps. Let's make sure we actually understand what's going to happen, what things will look like. Um, now, if you're in a dev test in a DevOps environment, you can actually run the scripts. Like, what is that script going to do? What happens if I run this script instead of that script? What if somebody makes a mistake and types that command instead of this command? Well, let's go see what happens. And um, I think that's all really valuable stuff. And that's why labbing goes way beyond just the learning stage of how to do things. Well, the learning stage should have brought this right to a conditioning point for us. Because I remember <laughs> when I was learning a lot of the more advanced stuff, particularly when I was doing certification studies intensely, anytime I had a question or anytime I wanted to know, does this work this way? If I asked somebody, the first response I always got was, have you labbed it? Have you tried it? Have you built it in a lab to see what it does and see how it ticks? And I can't think I'm alone in this. There are a lot of people who are in my position who learned this way. So it just strikes me as funny that, you know, we were all very lab focused while we learned. And now that we're in the production environment, <laughs> somehow labs are something we don't need anymore. Did, did we not learn from that? And, and config guides are not the same as labs. Oh, no. <laughs> sometimes they're just wrong there's universal truth but isn't so yes needs to be said i agree with that yeah <laughs> there are documentation bugs yeah there, there really are lots of them <laughs> <laughs> and you will find them if you lab it so so here's another thing i think you, you need to be confident enough to say that you don't know too and that, that should be a segue to the lab because um, in another example, the, I've been leading a, a pilot project for VeloCloud and we were integrating the hubs and the point where we're integrating the hubs into our network, there was um, a lot of routing protocols running and redistribution was involved. And there was just enough complexity going on that it was there's too much to predict and the only way you're going to get a positive outcome again is to get that into a lab environment test it out fix anything that would melt down your network in the lab and then move on from there but you have to take that first step saying i this is too complicated for me to predict yeah i think yeah there's truth in that um i think that you know the more the more experience that you gain the more you have uh an intuitive sense of what things should do, but even that isn't completely like there's too many moving parts. I mean, even I would right. say even in a simple network, there's too many moving parts to say definitively. I mean, the number of times I thought I had a problem pegged just from a description and start going down that path and doing discovery and then realize, oh wait, no, it's this other thing that's making it look that way. Um so so yeah, I think that you know, like <laughs> expert intuition is valuable to a point. Um, the, the lab is where you back that up and validate either your assumption or learn that you're wrong. Um, and, and I think that's a good idea is that, yeah, is, <laughs> I don't know. I, I maybe, maybe I'm just passive, but I, I have a hard time being definitive about anything. I think the more that I learn, the more that I realize that there's too many variables <laughs> to be definitive about and, anything. And that's, that's the way it should be. You know, the more you learn, the more complex you realize it is. And it's amazing. We can speak as confidently about things as we do now. 
the really the real challenge is to be able to speak confidently when we say we don't know as easily as when we talk about something we half know. <laughs> you know we can really be confident in something we think we know, but it's it takes it takes an act of God for us to say I don't know. Uh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Like, I mean, like it, it, it's, you know, hubris from, from just not knowledge of your deficiency, right. Or your, or your lack. There. Yeah. We don't, we don't know what we don't know. And we're right. very confident in what we don't know. I mean, this it's, is the whole, you know, imposter versus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. Right. Sure. Exactly. Absolutely. To, to knowledge levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. more you do it and the more you actually go to the customer, you go to the people, the project owners, the whole bit and say, I don't know. They're okay with that. They're fine with that. As long as you have an angle to go beyond it. Right. You can't stop. I don't know, but I will find out. And I will have that answer to you tomorrow. If I have to break it all apart and build it out of Lego myself. (laughs) Legos. That's how you built your labs. Shh. Trade secret. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see these Lego labs. Um, um, Yes. We're all waiting for the new. Does that Lego come with a Jericho or the Tomahawk too? That's inside the bricks. You'll never see. (laughs) See, I ordered that Saturn V kit from Amazon. You think it was just for fun? Come on. (laughs) I do want to segue a little bit because I think one of the things that hangs a lot of people up, and we've talked about it a little bit, is cost. Um, how, how do you get a lab? Because sometimes like it's hard to sell to leadership. Like I want to go buy this gear. And then a lot of times what they're going to hear is like, let it sit around so I can play with it. Um, so what are, what are some approaches to be able to, to get what you need, um, to to be able to lab? So I liked Ian's response earlier in the show and that is that when you are picking up new gear use that as an opportunity to pick up gear that's similar Um, there's often room in budgets when you're doing a large capital project to you know if if you're buying 50 switches buying 52 isn't really all that much different Um, I will tell you that one of my last jobs uh, we 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 took all question the legality but we took all of the old gear that we were getting rid of and sold it to um uh like uh third-party sellers and then or actually traded it to them to get the gear that we needed for a lab and so as we decommissioned gear i mean it wasn't a one-to-one ratio but we would give them 10 pieces of gear and we get one piece that we needed in return um uh, that was that was just a way to reuse stuff that would have just gone in the trash otherwise um, to help us get lab gear. Obviously, we've talked about emulation. Yeah. Um, Emulations. And emulation. So when you talk about emulation, typically you're talking about if you're doing it on a small scale, you can do it on your laptop or your desktop, whatever you have. Like, I mean, like if you're doing 20 routers or less uh, and they're just regular, they're not running the big heavy-duty operating systems, right? Obviously, all of the all the different versions of OSs have different, you know, uh, hardware requirements. But, you know, if you're just doing like 20, you know, regular routers that'll run on your laptop just fine if it needs to be bigger or, or you know the bigger network operating systems that have more resources a server and you know depending on the size of your shop that may or may not be a thing if it is a thing like uh russ mentioned now we're getting into this idea where we can actually embed labs in the cloud so sure I, I mean, this is what I've been looking at personally for my own lab because I don't have a big server at home. Actually, you know, for all the technology that we do and we talk about, I try to keep as little of it at home as possible. 
Um, I'm probably unique in that. I don't like having. No, no, actually, you're not. I do exactly <laughs> the same. All of my labbing, all of my real labbing takes place on a cloud server. And yeah, I don't have a whole lot of choice. I, I, I work from home, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's your that's your business office. So we, there's true. there's a pass there. Uh, but for but for me, like I don't I don't want a big server running in my in my office or in my house or whatever. I don't need the power bill. I don't whatever. Uh, cloud is really appealing to me because I can turn up a, a gigantic instance. I mean, something that could run just massive environments. But if I only run it like you know two hours a month. <laughs> Like it's not that big of a deal. I pay. Yeah, you're paying for what you use, and yeah, exactly, exactly. And so uh, there's an opportunity to really scale out and be able to build yourself a really beefy box without spending a lot. And if your company can't spend a few bucks a month, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, like, I don't don't think you're going to have any luck here. Um, Trying to shoehorn resources out of my boss. (laughs) Your boss is a jerk. He is. He is. Like the the guy is just despicable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you work with him. I, yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I try not to look at him any more than is necessary. <laughs> I definitely don't talk to him that often. Well, that's probably good. Probably for the but, best. Uh, one thing I think that that we sometimes when we uh, talk with leadership, we give too many details. And honestly, if you're buying 10 to 20 routers, throw two in there and say you have to have them because you have to have them for your lab. You yes. don't have to, you don't have to enumerate every line item. And frankly, they're probably not going to know the difference. So kind of stop asking permission and ask for what you need. It's not an off the wall luxury to ask for a couple of routers to put in some sort of HA scenario for you to lab with. So just ask, honestly. Or, or just throw it in and don't even really mention it too much. Well, that's what I mean by yeah, ask, right? Yeah. Just put it in the, tell the, tell it's your vendor of of choice yeah. to just wrap it into the proposal and they'll be happy to sell you more gear. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I haven't seen a sales guy who's turned that down. Like it's an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. hundred percent agree. Any other thoughts on how to get labs? If, uh, if, if resources are a problem. Ah, uh, silence. I think we've hit them all. Well, I think I think the cloud's pretty much got it. Because yeah. if you if you don't have anything else, you can spin it up at a cloud provider, and when you're ready to shut it down, the only thing you're paying for is the storage. Now, there's some complexity in this. So, I mean, like we say this, like you, oh yeah, you just spin it up, like it's no big problem. It, it can be a little bit challenging, right? Because you're talking about nested virtualization and some other, you know, some other things. Um, but guess what? It's a great learning process, right? <laughs> like you're you're going to become a better engineer for having gone through it. So you're it, labbing nested virtualization. <laughs> you're labbing nested virtualization. <laughs> Get your lab up and running. Yeah. I do have to give a shout out to VMware. I think their hands on labs is really genius. Uh, I wish that other vendors would come along the same way. And I just think there's, there's value on every different level. I mean, maybe you're not going to use that to lab out some test, but if you can drop in and check a couple functions and show what the product does, it, it, that's really cool. You, so you know what? That, that's a good idea. That's a good thought there because there, there are other vendors who do that well. That's right. Cool. I was going to say, there are other people like Cumulus, there's um, NRE, what is it, NRE? NRE Labs from Juniper, they just right. released that, which is really interesting. Um, I'm hoping yeah. to... There, there are a few people doing this. Um, Cisco, Cisco has it, but it's a little bit behind closed doors. Uh, well, not closed doors, but they have something called dCloud. Uh, dCloud is lots of different labs for Cisco infrastructure and all of their products. And if you have a reseller, you can ask them to set it up for you. 
Like but keep not- in mind, you're, these are all vendor offerings. As soon as you start playing multi-vendor, that's the it's challenge. real interesting. Right. But I mean, if you're just looking to get your hands on a product to, to figure out whether sure. it's something you could use or, you know, can maybe even compare products, get, you know, one vendor to set up a lab over here and one vendor to set up a lab over here. Uh, this is something as, that they use as part of the sales cycle to get you excited about their technology. Or, or if you just want to really understand how BGP converges or how, you know, you don't have to be running so if you're looking at like BGP convergence in your data center, it actually really doesn't necessarily matter if it's Junos, Cisco, Arista, or Cumulus BGP that you're running no. to understand basically how this is going to look. Go run it on whatever you can get your hands on, try it. And then if you can lab it on the gear you're actually using, beautiful, but then all you're looking for is diffs. You're not looking for the basic concepts any longer. Oh, I think I would- we miss that. I would even argue that there's value in picking some beer, some gear, picking some beer, yeah, picking some gear. Mm, that's beer. different. That's different than the, the gear you use day to day because in this process you can, if you're talking about what you're talking about, and that's just learning a protocol or learning, you know, the nuances of something. Well, well, even emulating your network with the protocol you run using someone else's implementation is still going to tell you how that protocol is Absolutely. going to run, and you're going to be better technology. for it. Yeah. Because, because if, if you run, you know, Cisco as your as your day to day and you and you emulate it with a, a Juniper virtual router or you emulate it with Cumulus or you emulate it with whoever. Right. Like just pick your vendor. Um, you're getting further experience in how to actually do this whole multi vendor thing. Uh, there are a lot of shops that get stuck in one vendor. Um, there's and you're focusing on the protocol and how the protocol works on that topology and not on the CLI, not on the implementation details for that particular implementation. Right. And, yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's where the real value is. That's exactly what I did with the uh, Velo cloud implementation for the hub implementation with BGP, all that conversions, we were able to use Cisco gear to, to test all of that. Oh, you better be careful. Cisco may not like hearing that. You here to emulate Velo clouds. <laughs> <laughs> Solution. All right, guys. I mean, but at the end of the day, BGP works the way BGP works. That's right. right. And, right. and I mean, that's the point are, we're making. There are nuances, right? I mean, like, uh, I, I think you can't say a blanket, but yes, like, you know, 95%, they all operate the same way. Uh, every implementation is a little bit different. Uh, so, you know, just be careful of those little corner cases if you're going to go down that route that they can exist. Um, but man, for just learning the protocol and learning, like, you know, like what happens when I, you know, when this neighbor just disappears, you know, yeah. if your timers right. are this, this is what's going to happen. Like it's going to happen that same way on the, on every distribution or every different, you know, type of network operating system. Right. And so if I, you're talking multi-vendor, there's value in comparing too. So you yeah. can use that comparison, get your outcomes different. Well, did this, did, did Arista or whoever, did they tweak the, the timers? Uh, whereas you have a different defaults with a different vendor. Sure. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think that uh, I think it's a good place to uh, to wrap it up here today. I think we've uh, talked about the idea of labs outside of of uh, the classroom uh, as as a topic very well here. Um, but before we before we stop the episode here, I want to give everyone an opportunity to kind of share some places where um, they might be found. Um, Jody, why don't we start with you? Where can people find you online? Well, you know, I tend to fade away a lot, but uh, that goes with my handle uh, at Ghost in the Net on Twitter. I thought you were just blurry. 
blurry, fading, you know, <laughs> how everyone describes it differently. Um, I, blo- yeah. Yeah, I blog at uh, www.ghostinthenet.info, which right now redirects over to the Packet Pushers page, but I am slowly but surely working on my own. Okay. Uh, I limp it blog here and there and all over the place. I've been doing stuff on Cisco, SolarWinds, various other ones as well. Uh, but yeah, Ghost in the Net on Twitter is the typical place to find me. Awesome. Ian, how about yourself? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got several different articles, including some about labs. Um, yeah, just search. And I'm, I'm in the DFW area, um, right. Dallas, Texas. Oh, very cool. Uh, so, Yvonne, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Sharp Network, on LinkedIn. Um, the blog is esharp.net. All right. Russ? Uh, on Twitter at Routing Geek. LinkedIn, of course. And my blog is rule11.tech, and you can always, always, always find me at the Network Collective. At least until they get tired of me and kick me out. That's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't kicked me out yet, Russ. They're not going to kick you out for a long time. Uh, So, yeah, I'm Jordan Martin at BC Jordo on Twitter, uh, jordanmartin.net, obviously here at the Network Collective. If you like this episode, we have many, many more like it that are uh, you can find our whole long list at thenetworkcollective.com. News for today, um, actually just a couple days ago, we're now on Spotify. So if you are an avid Spotify listener, you can now find our podcast in their podcast directory. We're also in all the other podcast directories. So iTunes. Uh, Google Play, all the other places that you can uh, possibly imagine. Uh, go find us there. Um, obviously Vimeo, but I mean, uh, sad trombone. This is our last video episode, at least long form. So from here on out, you'll see us in short takes, but uh, but community roundtables, history of networking, those things are all going to be uh, audio only. And I think that's it. Uh, so thanks a lot for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Viavi for sponsoring the episode. And we will uh, see you next time.